Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks for joining us for Episode 3. If you have young kiddos at home or have small little people in your life, you'll want to listen in on this conversation I had with Adrian Hines. We talk about our journey so far in raising young children, the effort it takes to pass on the faith, and the intentionality required to raise them from infancy on to value the sanctity of life. Most of you know her for her awesome contribution as former editor of The Lutheran Witness. While she's still involved in work for our church, her primary roles now have turned to full-time mommy work and wife to her dairy farmer husband, Chris. She's just an all-around awesome person, so I know you'll enjoy what she has to say. Take a listen. Welcome to another episode. Here with me is my special friend, Adrian. Adrian, I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad we get to chat about this. Yeah, me too. So it's 8 p.m. on a Friday night. You are in your laundry room, right? <laughs> what are we doing here at 8 p.m. on a Friday night? That's We're the question we ask ourselves. Great time. This is mom life, <laughs> real life, authentic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I have my decaf coffee. You have your water, which are, are you trying to go for a certain, you know, goal? No, no. Just any at all during the day. I consider that a success, really. <laughs> okay, you know, good. In mom Same. life, you forget to feed yourself and like drink yourself and then you put everyone to bed and you're like, oh, I should, I should probably drink some water today. That's where we're at. Yes. Low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get we'll get your water in while we're talking, okay? Perfect. I'll make Perfect. sure you have some sips. Okay. <laughs> so hey, I recently saw a, a family photo of you guys on Facebook. Precious family. And it made me laugh out loud because um you and your husband were trying to corral your kids and make them look at the camera all in, you know, one direction. And it was just precious because it was so real life. I mean, I'm I'm so grateful you put that on because that is my kids. One's crying. The other one has it stirred up. You know, it's just hard getting that all together. We're just trying to teach them to be human and they're just not having any of it. So we just want to remind people <laughs> this is why we train our children so that someday we can take the good Easter picture. Maybe not yes. someday. Someday they will all look at the same time and they'll be happy about it. Yes. Yeah. So this is what I myself. <laughs> So um, tell the listener who who may not have seen that picture, um, tell us about your family and your sweet little kiddos. Yes, I am married to Chris. He's a dairy farmer and we have uh, five children, four who we have with us here, one in heaven. So we have a, a five-year-old daughter and then three sons. One is four, one is two, and one is seven months. So we've got everybody kind of smushed in there together. And we just, we joke that when we go out, it's like a preschool field trip. It's just, you know, there's just kind of small children everywhere that need drinks and activities and <laughs> the potty and all the things. So it's, it's just a little wildly chaotic, but we, we love it and uh, wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Awesome. I bet there's a lot of snacks going on there too. We've talked about that before. Kids constantly need snacks. 
they want to eat all the time. I'm like, I just fed you at noon and now it's five o'clock and you want to eat again. What's, what is this? So, right. It's only it's been like, five hours. Right. What are you doing being hungry? I haven't cleaned up from the last meal. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, you understand. I do. I do. I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, and so, okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I went to Concordia, Wisconsin. I was an English major there, um, graduated there, and then went to the seminary in Fort Wayne and got my master's degree in religion there. I knew I wanted to do something with writing and theology. Those were kind of my great loves and ended up uh, serving as the editor of the Lutheran Witness for the Synod for seven years, did some some different work there, a variety of different projects that I got to work on and worked from home for a couple of years with my two oldest kids and then stepped aside from that to be here and raise my babies full-time because it is a full-time job keeping track of three little boys and a little girl. I mean, just the boys themselves are a full-time job, you know, (laughs) on top of that, also a daughter. So we live on a, a farm in Missouri. We have cows and kids and dirt and a lot of laughter and a lot of tears and it's, it's the stuff good memories are made of. Yeah. Yeah. That's, or so that's I like awesome. to tell myself when we, when we get to the end of the day and I wonder what I've accomplished, I say, you know, we were outside, <laughs> we had fun, we learned things and we, we are sleeping well. So this counts. Yes, it absolutely counts. It absolutely yeah. counts. Yeah. I also saw a picture of your sweet little boys playing in the mud and you know what? That's good immune support right there. Good immune building. It is. Yes. It also teaches them how to shower because we do a lot of that with all the mud that we're in. So yeah. lots of learning going on here. <laughs> and you homeschooled too, correct? We do. Yes. Yep. It's our first year this year and next year we'll have two in, in school. So it's a learning curve there as well. Yeah, I bet. Well, thanks for taking time out of your busy your busy life, your busy schedule to, to chat with us. So I there, think there are a few things I, I think are more important than chatting about theology and life issues. So this is a treat. Thank you. Thanks. I, I can agree with that. I, I love that. Let's get right to it. So you and I are going to talk about um, creating a pro-life culture in our homes, specifically with young kiddos. So your oldest is five, you said? Correct. Okay. So that's the kind of, and my oldest is four and a half. So that's kind of the experience we're coming from is by, by young children, we mean, we mean little people like yep. young. Yes. Still in our, our homes, even toddlers, babies. So, so when we talk about creating a pro-life culture in our home, what do we mean by that? What are we going for as parents? I think it's a variety of things, but we can probably sum it up with with a couple of kind of big points. I think that we are striving to teach our children that every person, regardless of their size or capacity or capability, whether they're the tiniest baby in their mother's womb, whether they have a disability, whether they are elderly, um, regardless of, of what that person is or was or will be, that that person is made in the image and likeness of God. And so there is an innate value and worth there that we recognize and also value. So we are teaching our children, even if you're small, even if you're old, whatever that may be, because 
God's created you because you are a child of God, because you are loved by God. You matter to us as fellow human beings as well. And then from that, we are also striving to teach our children that we live in a world that doesn't believe the same way. And so how do we combat that sort of culturally prevailing myth or or lie that society perpetuates that you know what is abnormal should be normal what is normal should be abnormal so boys can be girls girls can be boys you know men can give birth to babies all these sort of things that deal with life issues how do we raise our children such that they can recognize those things for what they are which is not true not what christians believe and then give them the words and the toolbox to be able to speak to those things, to be able to defend life, to be able to recognize, hey, that's not right. There is objective truth when it comes to life. How can I speak about that? So we're, we're in essence, wanting to create a, a, little, a little world in our home where God's word prevails where it is the, the norm for all we do and how we understand life, how we understand people, how we understand marriage and family and children and elderly and people who are suffering and people who are lonely. Then in the reverse, how we, how we see what people who don't believe in that look like and talk like, and then we combat that. And I think it's easy to, when we have little people, to sort of look at all of that and despair a bit and say, oh, my word, there's there's so much to teach. And on the flip side, there's so much to try and sort of teach against. But as Christians and as Lutherans, we have such a beautiful understanding of life and such a beautiful theology of life that it's really a, a joy and a treat to be able to draw our children into that and to say, yeah, there's a lot out there that we disagree with. But on the flip side, look at all we have and look at all that we have to offer on account of a Heavenly Father who loves us. So it's a combination of things. No pressure. You know, it feels like we've got a little bit of everything to try and do. But I think that raising children um, with that objective truth of understanding life and the sanctity of life helps them to be able to see the reverse of that and to understand it and recognize it for what it is, and to be able to make a good confession of life when they do see that. Hmm. Yeah, no, no pressure. That's <laughs> that's what you know. You feel with all of parenting, really. And I'm only, I'm not even five years into this parenting gig, and realizing what kind of responsibilities we have as as Christian parents within the church to raise these little people faithfully, right. and. You know, that's, and there's so that's, many tentacles of that. It's not just the life issue. It's all of the things that go along with that. If it yeah. were one thing, we would maybe feel completely qualified, but it's all the things and they're, they're very intertwined. Yeah. That, yeah. Well put. <laughs> tentacles. That's right. That's I will think of good. that when I'm, when I'm raising my kids and thinking, shoot, this is just another tentacle I got to deal with. <laughs> sometimes when you have little kids crawling all over you, it feels a little bit like tentacles. <laughs> You know, the octopus in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, so part of our vocation as a parent is is teaching our children, of course, what you said, the, the, the norm of God's word and how it directs our, our steps and then also directs us to make a, a confession of – a good confession of, of life. So why is teaching our kids the value of human life – 
an essential part of parenting? Why is it an essential uh, tentacle, if you will? Yes, yes. I think that it is so deeply entrenched and just enmeshed in being a Lutheran and being a Christian. Our, our Savior comes to put death to death and to give life to life. And so life is just in every way a part of who we are as, as Lutherans. And so that becomes simply by virtue of who we are as baptized children of God. It becomes a part of our vocation as parents as well. If you look at the, the table of duties in the, the small catechism, right, it points you to, is it Ephesians 6, I think, to raise your children, you know, in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so if we are being parents, if we are being Christian parents, Lutheran parents, the scriptures, the confessions, all point us to the fact that by virtue of doing that, we are also teaching them what God's word has to say. And God's word has a lot to say about sanctity of life issues. So as parents, by doing what we're doing, we're kind of already fulfilling that part of our vocation by by taking our children to church, by speaking about these things, by having family devotions at home. It's all going to be kind of intertwined in that. Um, but that also means that we're actually we're actually doing those things, right? So we have to actually log out of Facebook. We actually have to turn the TV off, you know, put our phone down and actually do those things as parents. It doesn't just happen magically out of thin air. Hmm. Our children have faith given them in baptism. We have faith given them in baptism. So we as parents now have the very heavy but also joyful duty of having those discussions, sometimes hard, with our children. So to me, it's, it is a part of, of simply who we are, um, but it's something that does require some thought and some effort and actually putting the time in to do it. Yeah, some some intentionality. So right. I I would imagine as we talk, some you know whether you're a a, a parent listening or a grandparent, an aunt, um, you know whatever your vocation is, you know children and you have some kind of vocational responsibility to be in their lives and instructing them um, and helping them um, as a little believer. And I, I would imagine some listening. We'll hear what we're talking about, and we'll say, "Yeah, I'm actually I'm doing that," and I didn't even realize that this was kind of a uh, a step towards teaching my kids, you know, the value of life. It's just kind of you know part of your routine already. But then again, what you said, uh, a lot of this will take some intentionality, and that's um, I think that's a lot of parenting, at least of what I'm finding out. Again, five years in, is that things aren't going to happen unless I set aside the time or I or I devote ourselves to it. So, um, right. yeah, so I'm, so I'm eager to hear from you about that. Um, so, so what is it about having little ones that makes this kind of creating a, a, a culture that values life in our home? What is it about having little ones that makes this really fun and kind of easy to do? <laughs> and what is it that makes this especially challenging at such a young age? Yes, because as you noted, there are both sides to the coin for sure. I think what makes it fun with children at that age is that they are just so very natural and and honest and open and blunt when you're talking about things that are important. I, I don't know what the line is. I think it's drunks and toddlers are like the ones that have no filter and will always be completely honest with you. There's something to that. They don't come with the sort of baggage that comes with age. They don't have any sort of preconceived 
notions necessarily about how things should be. And so it makes it really easy to talk about some of those things with them because it can be very cut and dried and they're satisfied with that. By the same token, they have a very innate sense of curiosity. I mean, how many times a day do you get asked the question, why mom? Mm -hmm. A a million times a day. Mm -hmm. So they, they want to know. And I think that we as parents can take advantage of that. It's things can be very clear to them. They accept an answer simply because you as the parent have given it to them. Mom said this, so it must be the case. But they also have that, well, I want to know why. I want to know why. And I think we lose some of that as adults or we're afraid of what people might think if we ask the hard questions. They don't have any of that. So I think that's what makes it maybe not easy, but easier in a sense and can be very Mm -hmm. fun. On the flip side, what can make it challenging, like we were just sort of saying, is that I think there's some sort of real felt opportunity cost to actually sitting down and having these conversations because there is, there's laundry and there's t-ball and there's all the other things going on. Or maybe we as parents are simply being selfish and don't want to take the time to do that. And we do have kids who are curious and we're simply not making the time for it. So I mean, lest we as mom thinks, you know, we think we have things to repent of. We just can add one more to the list, right? Like, (laughs) you know, I go to bed and instead of going to sleep when I'm tired, I lay there and think of all the things I should have gotten done during the day and fret about it. So I can just add this to my list of things that I, you know, repent of is that I didn't take the time to have the conversation, but (laughs) thank goodness for forgiveness. So Mm, um, I think the reward in all of that is that, that you get to see the little aha moments when you have those discussions with them and you may have them 10 times in a row but you get to see that kind of flourishing, growing understanding of things like the sanctity of life. And mm-hmm. it's, it's important to me too. And you've said it a couple of times. I think it's important for us as parents to notice, even in how we are talking about it, like, like to me, pro-life is something different than sanctity of life. Sanctity of life sort of implies or carries with it that there is this holy understanding of life, that it is a a blessed thing that it is a gift from God and we can use sanctity of life or pro-life sort of interchangeably, but it doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. Mm -hmm. So even in having conversations with little people, something as seemingly mundane as just the language we use, I think can be impactful and, and have a formative kind of effect on our kids you know, we can have pro-life people who can come down in a very different area than we do when it comes to some issues. But if we're going to talk about some of the hard things and we get at the sanctity of it, that this is a life God created from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death, it has worth because of that. That can be a very different discussion. So yeah, I think, I think that kids can make it really fun because they're just so, they're so curious and they're so willing to roll with it. On the flip side, it can be challenging because we, we do just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great book. I don't know if you've read the book Brave New Family by G.K. Chesterton. It's, it's a great book. A friend gave it to me when my husband and I first got married. And he's not, he's not Lutheran, obviously, so you have to dissect a few things through the, the Lutheran lens. But he talks in there, you know, decades ago, how people would say, I don't want to have children because I want to be free to go, you know, go to the movies, get my bigger car, get my nice boat, get my nice house, whatever. And he says in there, 
what are you doing but chaining yourself to something completely meaningless when you have a child who is the most creative contribution you're ever going to give to society? You want to be free to go hang out on your boat or go to the movie, which is going to mean nothing when you could be free to be with this amazing creation that God has given you that is unlike anything else he created and you're given to form and shape that little mind. Hmm. And he, I, he called, he just, he says, children are wonderful and they're amusing and they're creative <laughs> and all these things. And you hear that and you think, Oh, it's so true. Like I just, if you, if you think of your children in those terms, then having the discussion about sanctity of life issues becomes a lot more doable because mm. you see the value in who they are as a person and you, you want to take that and run with it. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if any of that makes any sense. That is, oh, that yeah, is it's beautiful. brain stream of consciousness. We're going to be all <laughs> <a little> here. <laughs> we're, we're both kind of in that same wavelength, mom brain stream yeah. of consciousness. Yeah. Yes. We're going to be <laughs> so, finishing each other's sentences because we're not going to know what the word is we're looking for. But it's, that's that, right. it's a big picture idea that we, we do it because our children matter and because they're at an age where it's ripe for having those hard discussions. No, I have not read that book. It's great. And I'll link that in the, in the show notes for people who are interested. Um, <laughs> absolutely right. Kids are so amusing, so creative. I mean, it's just hilarious, the things that come out of their mouths. Um, but, you know, essentially what you said is the starting point is, is us even realizing as parents, the beauty and gift that we have in front of us, um, these little ones. And then, um, you know, knowing that they're created in the image and likeness of God, um, wanting them to mirror that to the world. So we have to, we have to teach them who they really are in Christ so that they can in turn teach other people, and, and act towards other people in a way that's representative of that. So, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So what, why is it then intentional to start this at a really young age? And I'm talking like babies, infants. Why maybe people listening would be like, well, I, I wouldn't have ever thought to start this kind of discussion or, or start thinking in this way when I have a little baby in my arms. But tell us what that's like and why it's so important to start so early. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good question because it's, it's our goal, I, I think, to, to make issues of faith. And so by extrapolation, life issues, just a part of their vocabulary, that they grow up in a world where they've not ever known, not talking about life issues. So we don't wait until kids are 10 years old to teach them that, you know, the alphabet, that letters make sounds and we piece them together and sounds make words and piece words together and words make sentences. We sing the ABCs to them when they're babies and we're changing their diapers because they're going to eventually memorize their ABCs. They're going to eventually grow to be able to make those sounds, put the words together, but we start young because we know that that's eventually going to click as they grow and are shaped and, and molded and begin to understand um, in a way that they perhaps can't at that little age. And so I think it's really the same thing for issues of life. We start young, we start deliberately, um, we start so that they simply don't know any different as they grow. And then it becomes a case for them of, this is simply who I am. This is how my family speaks. This is the way in which my church speaks. This is what 
I hear when my parents read the Bible to me at night. This is what I hear when I go to church on Sunday. It is just a part of their vocabulary and who they are. And I think then it becomes a lot harder to sort of chip away at that when they when they kind of go out into the world when that foundation is really solid. So we're not expecting them to understand at age two the horrificness of abortion, but we are expecting them to perhaps be starting to memorize their commandments, right? And to know, okay, we don't hurt or harm our neighbor in his body. I may not understand what that means when I talk about the commandment at age three, but when I'm five, I start to understand, oh, this means maybe I don't haul off and deck my brother because he took his toy. And then when we're eight, we're maybe able to explain, oh, little brother, we don't do that because that's, you know, God does not want us to treat someone that way. That person has worth. And then when we're 12, we're starting to be able to defend bigger issues. So we, we start small and we build on that as their capacity sort of grows along with it. We don't wait until they're fully grown and rational to start that conversation because by then we've, we've lost so much time. So um, I think it's, it's just a case where we continue to build on that and we try and make conversations about why babies in the womb matter, why our elderly neighbor next door, why we take meals to him, why we give rides to people who need to go to the hospital, why someone is a shut-in and lonely, why we're going to go visit them. We just make that a part of their natural vocabulary and let that grow and flourish as they grow and flourish. So lots of lots of good conversations so far and some great thoughts um, still in theory though. So let's talk practical, like really real life examples. What does this look like? You know, starting at uh, infancy, then working into toddlerhood, then, um, you know, younger five, six, seven years old. Mm -hmm. What are some practical ways that we can do this? And what do you do in your own home? What do you wish you would do in your own home? What do you see in the future happening as your kids get a little bit older past the five-year mark? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. I think that the the good news is I think if we sort of look at our day-to-day, we'll probably realize we're doing more of this and having more of these life conversations than maybe we realize. But I was talking to my sister-in-law about this the other day. And I said, I think that this seems sort of obvious, but like for little people, having siblings for them teaches that, you know, my sister-in-law is expecting, she has a four-year-old and a two-year-old and it's such a natural conversation starter in their home. Obviously we understand children are a a gift and a blessing. God gives them when and, and where he wills, but as it occurs in family, as children happen, that gives a a wonderful opportunity. You get to see baby grow. You get to see baby on the monitor. You get to hear baby's heartbeat. And then that teaches you, I can't see this little person. There's no little window to mom's tummy, but there's somebody in there. And that person has a lot of importance because mom and dad are teaching me this really matters. And then baby arrives and you're helping with diapers and you're helping with burp claws and all of those things. And that is teaching you that even your tiniest, littlest neighbor who is completely defenseless, who can't do anything but rely on mom and dad, that that person matters. So for for our family, we have a lot of 
you know, running to help little brother that's seven months old, getting him toys and getting him whatever, you know, whatever he might need and way more kisses than he ever would want. He's probably <laughs> sick and smothered from them. But but even <laughs> in teaching that the, the tiniest of people among us, that we are, we serve them because Christ has served us. Um, that's, you know, that's one easy, quick way to do it. I think on the, the flip side, thinking about the elderly in our midst, especially during this kind of strange time with COVID and maybe they're not all feeling comfortable coming to church or they're not able to leave their nursing home, that you can kind of take your children to the other end and say, okay, we know what we think about the tiniest ones. What do we think about the ones who are more seasoned, kind of on the opposite spectrum of life where, where death is feeling and drawing closer? How do we take care of them? Again, I've got a sister-in-law that goes for walks with her kids and her next door neighbor. He's elderly, wants someone to kind of walk up and down the block. She takes her little kids with them. They're all buddies. They take them meals. They take them cookies. You may shovel their sidewalk. But in, in those really, what seems mundane, going for a walk up and down the block, in that you're showing your child, you know, Mr. Smith next door is by himself and he's alone, but we love him and we care for him even if it seems like no one else does. So I, for, for life, it seems like it's easy to go to kind of the baby end of things, and we should, certainly. But I also think it's good for us to kind of go to the, the flip end and to see where we're missing out. We sent letters, cards, to our shut-ins and the, the older folks in our congregation during COVID when that sort of all happened and got so many pen pals <laughs> written Aww. back. And I would just kind of transcribe what a child would say and stick it in the mail to them. <laughs> and they would write back or they'd send a little something in the mail because they're lonely. They're looking for that mutual consolation that the scriptures talk about. And little kids are happy to ham it up and provide that. So that's a, another you know sort of easy, practical way. Family devotions. The, the scriptures are rife with stories that teach us what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, you know, a human being. We can look at Christ's incarnation. What does Jesus becoming a baby growing to a man, what does that teach us about life? I think, I think it's first Corinthians. We need a pastor here. Is it first Corinthians? that says this is written down for our instruction and our learning. So we can teach our, our children when we look at sort of our our understanding of Bible history, we can teach our children from sort of the wins and losses of how life is dealt with, with people, you know, of faith. So Cain and Abel, some of those stories can be really sometimes graphic, up close and personal um, stories. And we've, we've been doing kind of a Bible history toddler version for family devotions and reading a Bible story and then just asking questions. And I am constantly amazed the five and the four-year-old at how much they glom onto and they memorize and they pick up on. So making sure that before bedtime, after supper, whatever, we gather around and we look to those people who are uh, able to teach us what we believe about life and the sanctity of life. You know, the scriptures are full of that. I think one more way is not to be afraid to use the contemporary culture. We had a lot of conversations during the election cycle about 
the, the life issues in front of us. And that led to our kids asking questions because we would talk about it at the supper table. And so we're not explaining in full what abortion is and the horrificness of that to our three, you know, four-year-old and two-year-old and, and baby. We may not be explaining gender dysphoria, but we can say things like, well, there are people out there who are okay, or maybe even would advocate for not letting a baby be born. They're okay with the fact that that baby will never get to live. And we don't believe that. Here's why we don't believe that. And we should pray for those people. So let's make sure tonight when we do devotions that we remember to pray for them, that their hearts would be turned and that they would see that those little tiny babies, just like, you know, aunt so-and-so is having her baby. Let's pray that they would see that tiny baby matters, matters to Jesus and he matters to us. So we would, we pray every night in our family devotions that abortion would be ended. Hmm. Our kids have asked a handful of times what that means. A lot of times they don't, but they're going to have grown up hearing every night that one day, maybe someone in our family, some generation down the line will see abortion ended. So those I think are just some tangible ways. I, I don't think we should be afraid if you've suffered a loss of a child in your family, be afraid to talk about those. My husband and I lost a baby to a miscarriage a couple of years ago. And so when my husband prays every night, he gives thanks to God for all of our children and he names them all by name. Hmm. And probably once a quarter, one of the kids will say, we, we named our baby. We lost at nine weeks. We named her Pascal because of hmm. the resurrection. And so once someone will say, is Pascal the baby that's in heaven? And we'll say, yes, that is the baby. We get that baby back on the day of resurrection. And, you know, are we sad? Do we miss her? You know, why is she not here? They're not fun conversations to have. I cry through most of them, but I want my children to know that we do have a baby in heaven and that she did matter to us and that she matters still. And like the widow at Nain, we're going to get that baby back in the day of the resurrection. We're going to get our child back. And so that's a, that's a life issue, even though we're talking about death. So again, these aren't anything earth shattering, but I think if we start to just look for those opportunities and not be afraid to have those very real conversations, because if we don't have them, other people will have them with their children. We seize those in the moment and we're willing to run with that. And we're willing to, to talk about how we as Lutherans talk about life. Kids are very content with that. You know, sometimes they'll say, you know, why, why is that baby not here? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Okay. You know, they, then they're fine with that. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, mom doesn't have an answer. That's okay. I don't need one either. So it, it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, let's ask pastor about that on Sunday. It's okay to have conversations that way too. But I think once we start paying attention and sort of looking for those opportunities, they're, they're everywhere. Yes. Baptisms. You know, seeing someone baptized in church, my kids have a million questions. Why is that little baby up there? Well, even though she's only three days old, she matters so much to our Heavenly Father. He's bringing him, bringing this child to himself in the waters of holy baptism. Um, We took our children to a funeral of a a child that died who was only a, a couple of months old. And that's a really hard funeral to go to. And they had a lot of questions, but I don't want my children to be 20 years old and never have had to deal with the flip side of life issues, which are how we deal with death and that we are not afraid of death. 
that death has lost its sting. And we can start with that when our children are still very young. So again, so many, so many options out there. Um, I, I think they're just all over. It, it's simply a matter of taking the time and, and being willing to sit down and have those conversations. Yeah. I mean, essentially kind of plop in your lap sometime. Sometimes um, I'm just thinking of today I was taking our oldest son Judah to a doctor's appointment and he saw coming out of the hospital an ambulance. And whenever we see an ambulance or hear an ambulance, it might not even be an ambulance, whatever makes noise. So it could be a police car. (laughs) But whenever we hear a siren or see something like that, Um, We always stop what we're doing and pray a simple prayer. Dear Jesus, please be with whoever is sick or hurt. Amen. And now my son, we've been doing that since he's, you know, been an infant before he could even talk. And um, he just spontaneously says it. When when we're driving today, he just saw the ambulance. It didn't even have a siren on. And bless his heart, he he prayed for whoever they were going to help. And I think they were probably just going to go through the car wash, you know. But (laughs) those are the kind of instances where – they are, they are right in front of you. And um, they're not, this is not an earth shattering thing that my husband and I sat down and talked about, like, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we just decided to do it. And again, those kind of like eyes of, of life and, and eyes for people who are hurting and suffering. That's another way to express to our children what we believe about the sanctity of life, that all life matters and that God cares about those who are suffering too. So Yes. They, yes. And Judah is proof that works. You started when he was little before he could talk and now it's just part of his vocabulary. I mean, that is <laughs> yeah. it right there. You didn't even yeah. know what the outcome would be, but you did it and he's got it. And, and yeah. that is, that's little, that's faith just popping out when he hears that now. It's yes. beautiful. Yeah. And you know, for, for people who are listening to this, this, you know, these suggestions or thoughts might feel overwhelming or monumental, but um, simply taking your kids to church and taking those opportunities in church. Again, my my little boy, out of really no effort, simply just taking him to church can recite the, the creed. And the creed is a great launching point talking about why God cares for us and how he cares for life. And these little people, we underestimate what they're able to do. I mean, four years old, and he says, he says the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed perfectly. And so just a plug to to take those kids to church too, because in church, there's tons of opportunities to talk about, about all of these kinds of issues. So They're sponges and they may not understand to its full theological depth right, you know, right now, but that's what you get to continue to build on. And don't we all do that all during life? We're always wanting to be or hopefully are learning about the holy things of God. That's what we want for ourselves. It's what we want for our children. And you can never plumb the depths of that. So good yeah. for him. Tell yeah, him I have yes. a five-year-old daughter who wants to be his friend. Okay. <laughs> I will. He loves making new friends. So oh, perfect. Good. he would be a great friend for her. Together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what specific kind of resources, are there any? that you use in your home to kind of like be a launching point for conversation with your kids? I think that one of the best ones that we can use, honestly, is the crucifix. We have one in a lot of the rooms in our home (laughs) to, to make this a little bit easier. But one of the things that we try and do every day is to point to that crucifix and to say, you know, Jesus loves you. 
he loves every child he has created. And greater still, the way in which he loves them is that he dies and rises again for them. And that, I mean, what is that but life right there? You're looking at a picture of death, but that is what gives us eternal life. That is what gives each person, that allows them to be that that gift that God gives us by placing them in our midst. So my two-year-old will point at the cross and he will say, you know, Jesus died cross, Jesus rose, Jesus loves me. Yes, and that is that encapsulates the faith right there. So I think one of those easy things is to simply allow them to see to see Jesus in his death, which is awful and gruesome. But what gives life to life is that very thing right there. We also love the fetal models. I hmm. my nephew, um, I have a picture of my nephew, and he's holding the size of his unborn brother or sister. And I think what a gift that must be that he's not yet met that baby, but he can hold that in his hands and know this tiny little neighbor God has put in his path in his home matters, even though they're the small. So there's there's things like that that I think are available out there. There's a couple of a couple of books I've seen that I I purchased for a friend, and they will at least depict, you know, grandma and grandpa coming to home of mom and dad. And mom's belly, you can see the baby inside. Mm -hmm. There's a baby in there. So we've got, you know, married grandparents caring for married parents who are about to go and bring unborn baby home. And good things like that, where we've got marriage, we've got serving one another, we've got children being valued. So I think there are some, some things like that. But it's also one of those cases where we could probably do a lot more. I think there's a lot of resources that I've seen you know, from the Roman Catholic Church that will talk about the theology of life in a way that children can understand or resources or coloring pages or downloadables. I think Lutherans, we could probably go on to that. Our theology is way better. We have the words, we have the language. That would be something I would love to see cultivated. So I'm, I am thankful you are doing this podcast and that you're bringing some of these things to light because it can feel like an uphill battle you feel like you're kind of the salmon swimming against the current when it comes to wanting to teach these things to your children. But resources like this, giving parents the ideas of what to do in their home, I think are going to be huge and even more important as time goes on and we see what's happening in our culture. So shout out to you for also taking the time <laughs> to, to bring some of these things to light. Well, I think you're you're right about, you know, if if <laughs> if there's something like, hard copy in front of you. That is a reminder, like your crucifix, like these little models, like books. I mean, they're on your bookshelf or they're in your room. I mean, they're just natural kind of reminders that, oh, this is something that we should talk about or pray about or, um, you know, let's pick up that book or let's talk about that cross. I mean, those are those are really helpful when it's like you you have a, a mom brain that is cluttered with all of the things that have to go on. But then to see that book on your your shelf, like, well, we're going to do this before bedtime, even though we didn't talk about anything else today or right. this week or, wow, this month has gotten away from me, whatever. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. It can it can it can be as simple as starting with a, a book, a Bible story. A little tangible reminder that. Yeah. Oh yeah, we could talk about this today. We can do this. Yeah, and uh, something we just ordered as a family is a a book put out by CPH called "Alive Before You Were Born." It's a really awesome 
book put together for, honestly, I read it to our little two-year-old girl and she loves it because there's babies, there's pretty hearts in there on every page. You have to look for the heart that's kind of, you know, put in the picture, but it's kind of hidden a little bit and she loves that. But essentially it's uh, talking about the preciousness of life in the womb and that kind of concept that she's not going to understand at two, but she sees it right in front of her and we're talking about these sweet little babies who aren't born yet, but they are loved by Jesus. And yes, we need more of those. Good job, CPH, for putting that out. Let's do more of that. The people want more. Give the children more. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And knowing kids, they'll read the same book with you 400 times a day. They never tire of those things. You know, we get tired of reading them, but they don't. So the more that's there and the more that's available, they will eat it up. They'll have it memorized. For sure. Yes. Yes. We'll be sick of it, but they will not be. (laughs) So when we're talking about you know, all this intentional parenting and, and what kinds of things we can we can feed our kids with. What then is the kind of the opposite of that? So we're working on cultivating this culture of life. At the same time, we're fighting against a culture that is out there and that the kids will be exposed to and are exposed to. So what kind of outside messages do you think we need to address already early on as parents? There are many. I think we can probably, you know, look at the news or log on to Facebook and feel like they're kind of everywhere. That if we're not having these conversations with our children, someone else is going to be having them. And they're not going to be good and they're not going to be anything we would want our our children to be glomming on to. So, you know, I was reading the other day and this struck me because I felt like the story kind of just flew under the radar, but they were talking about how in California, there's a new curriculum now that the Department of Education put out where middle school, grade school children are learning about Aztec civilization. And each day during this part of this, the curriculum, they're repeating incantations to uh, the God of human sacrifice. And I'm thinking to myself, so you've got your little third grader over here who's learning about life issues, but in the most horrible way possible that we're learning, we're actually repeating to this pagan God who, in theory, demanded that people leave their children to die as a sacrifice. When on the flip side, we're wanting to teach our children, we have a God who dies as the sacrifice for us. They're actually teaching the polar opposite of what we would have our children know. And that's at a really young age. I have a friend whose third grader saw pornography on his sixth grade friend's phone on the school bus. She can't let him ride the school bus anymore. I mean, third grade boys should be playing baseball. They shouldn't, this shouldn't be even a part of of their awareness. Uh, You look at some of the sex education stuff. We're teaching our children from kindergarten now all the way through high school how to avoid pregnancy, that marriage doesn't matter, that sex doesn't matter, that all of this is sort of whatever suits you, that it's relationships, children, all of these things are just kind of disposable. They're, they're, if it works for you, use it and then you can pitch it. So when we look at what our children can be learning outside of the home, and you're starting that at such a young age, and you're learning that all the way through, you're going to 
very likely end up with a child who's going to think, well, why does any of that matter? Why would abortion be wrong? Why would marriage be a good thing when you've been taught this whole time the complete opposite? So, I mean, I don't want to be a downer, but that's, that is the very real nature of what's out there. And that makes our work, I think, even more vital and more important. So, Surrounding our children in the home with God's word, good. Having them in a a solid, faithful church, good. Also being able to speak to what they're going to hear out there and teaching them why that is so awful, so not in keeping with the objective truth of the scripture, also good. So it adds another layer of teaching that we have to do, but it's good for us as parents to be aware that 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 is out there. And it is a very real present danger. I mean, Satan is, is prowling like a lion and he's Mm -hmm. prowling in so many ways from social media to, to school buses. And, and we do have to be vigilant. What are the dangers if, if we don't work to do this as a, as a family in our homes, as a, as a church? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The kind of going to happen. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think that the consequences are sort of here in a sense that if we, if we don't have those conversations, then we are raising children in the faith who in a very real way are not going to be that different from children not raised in that. So we talk about things as seemingly, you know, kind of mundane as, Oh, you're going to get married and you're going to get this great job and you're going to get this promotion. And then you're going to start your family. Right. The family is the secondary thing. The job and the house and everything else is the primary thing. And we do that. I mean, maybe not even intentionally, but we do that as Christians and as Lutherans. So how does that make us any different then than the pro-choice person who may say, okay, well, every child has to be a wanted child. I, I get married and I would like to have my job in my house. So my child that I could be having isn't a wanted child. You know, it it becomes a very real serious consequence that puts us not that far apart from someone who would say that child has no value and worth because that parent didn't want it at that time. So some of those consequences are, are us having to change how we speak about things, even if we're doing it just sort of mindlessly changing the way in which we talk about that to say, you're getting married. That's wonderful, man, woman, perfect. And the purpose of marriage as God wills it, is for the creation of children. And so we're going to be praying that that happens for you and and the joy that comes with that. So some of that is talking with our children, teaching our children, this is who God created us to be, and making sure that we understand that there's a distinct difference there, and there should be a difference between us and how the world views that. Beyond that, I think it's kind of simple demographics. The consequences are if we're not having children, we're not baptizing children. They're, we're not having children to raise in the faith, which seems sort of law-oriented, but in a sense, that's just kind of objectively true. If we are raising generations of children who don't see um, the value in the family, in, in our tiny little unborn neighbors, there's not going to be the same amount of people to teach about sanctity of life issues to on down the road. So In a sense, we're already there. By the same token, it doesn't mean that we give up. I think that there's a 
a danger in as you know talking to our children about this and sort of despairing that oh there's all of this but we also know that we have the gospel we also know that Christ has given us the the language we can use to talk about life issues and to talk about those hard things with our children that we know we get to spend eternity with him whether we are suffering or lonely or elderly or disabled or whatever the case may be as baptized children of God, we have the end game in mind and we know that. So the consequences may be here and may be real, but that doesn't mean that we don't endeavor to move forward and keep plowing forward, keep praying, keep repenting, keep leaning in and doing the right thing. Yeah. Amen. As we wrap up, tell us, tell us just, you know, what one thing you do every day, what's the single most important thing that you do every day to teach your little people what it means to value life in the eyes of Jesus? I think that our family devotions are critical because they are the place in which we get to actually be in God's word, where he talks about the blessing and the gift that life is, where he shows us from the birth of his son, what it means to be a human being, what it means to care for a human being, what that looks like to suffer. We have in Jesus someone who has emotions, who knows loneliness, who knows pain. And in that, in God's word, our children can see that reflected out into the the people around them. This is what it looks like here. Now, what does that look like in my daily life? So for us, devotions are a a must. We will go to bed late with tired children falling asleep, but that time in God's word and in prayer for, I mean, that's another, that's another easy thing to do. So, you know, people who are expecting, you know, people who are sick, you know, people who are shut-ins, add them to your prayer list. That's a, that's an easy thing to do. Stick that note in your Bible to remember to pray for them. That's kind of a non-negotiable for our family is that devotions praying, praying for those people happen at the end of every day so that we wrap up every day knowing that we are loved by Christ, that we have those around us, that we in turn are given to love, that we as a family matter to one another, that he's put us in a bigger community that we can care for. And it doesn't have to be long and intense. It can be 10 (laughs) minutes, but it, it works. I mean, my parents did devotions with us as a child. And I said to my dad one time, how did you know that this was going to be the thing as we left and went off to college, this would be kind of the thing that stuck with us. And he said, I had no idea. I was just praying that, that those nights of talking about what the Bible has to say about these things and praying that that would take hold. And that's what faith does. You know, God's word actually really does work. And if we believe that we spend time in it and, and it does its work. So breakfast, supper, lunch, whenever your family is together, take that 10 minutes. I, I think that's time. No one will ever ever regret spending in God's word and in prayer. Yeah, agree. I, I would imagine that your devotion time is a little bit more organized than ours. I mean, um, we have had to use, um, you know, jelly beans to bribe our two-year-old to, you know, to sit, to listen. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's not even paying attention. She's eating her jelly bean, you know. Um, but those prayers, the Lord's Prayer or the Creed, those even when you don't think they're paying attention, those seep in, um, those stories when we've been talking with Judah about these stories and it's like, I didn't even think you were listening, buddy. And he could say the people's names and and kind of even the gist of what we were talking about. And 
there is a lot of grace for, I mean, it doesn't have to look every night like everyone's sitting pretty and still and folding their hands and, you know, crossing their legs. It it might be a little wild. That's it's good advice. It's always a little wild at our house. I can almost see <laughs> somebody's not doing something that they should, but we're counting on God's <laughs> grace and mercy covering that. And the, yes. the big picture goal is, yes, still working. Oh, bring on the jelly beans. Absolutely. <laughs> I would want to be eating jelly beans. I'm going to come do devotions at your house. <laughs> well, whatever seasonal candy is there, you know, it's jelly beans or conversation hearts or whatever we're into that's in our right. Easter basket or our right. Christmas stockings. So if it keeps you quiet and still utilize that. Yes. Yes. For those listening, Adrian, who maybe they're feeling a little overwhelmed by all of these suggestions or all of this talk or kind of wishing they would have started this maybe at an earlier age, what kind of encouragement can you share with them? What kind of gospel comfort can you provide? Well, I would say, come on in. The water's fine. We're all sinners. None of us are doing this well or good enough or as well as we would want to. So come join the merry band of people who are trying and failing every day. Also, though, it's never too late to start, and it doesn't have to be that you do 50 things to compensate that you haven't done as much as you've wanted. You know, you start with one. You add an expectant mother to your prayer list. You add someone in the hospital to your prayer list, and you do that for a month, and that's good enough, right? You just start somewhere. You start with something, and then maybe you add to that, and you take a meal to a shut-in, and you let your child deliver it to the door or write them the card that goes with it. Um, maybe you work up to memorizing the commandments and you get to the commandment about murder and you use that as an opportunity to talk about what we believe about life. So I, I think that if it feels overwhelming, that's pressure we sometimes put on ourselves. It doesn't have to be. There's no, there's no set guidelines for this, but you can start with one thing you know you're capable of doing to get in that habit and see where that takes you. And there's a lot of of good advice, I think, that we can glean from older members in our congregation, you know, the the moms who have been down this road, the dads who have raised their children, that we can talk to them and ask them for encouragement or advice or tips on how to do this. We've got people in our midst that we can utilize to help us with this. You don't have to go it alone. So the Lord's grace springs eternal every day. His mercies are always new. We fail today. We get up tomorrow. We rest in his promises that he is a good and gracious God to us and to our children. And we move forward in faith. So may not be perfect, but it is something. And that's a, that is a great place to start. Yes. Thank you. Adrian. thanks so much for joining us tonight. It's tonight, but whenever you're listening, uh, listener, it's been a really a pleasure to have Adrian on. So thank you, Adrian. Thanks for letting me chat with you from my laundry room. I'm probably going to go home <laughs> right now because that's what moms do at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> yes. Yes. And thanks so much to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to click that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life.